Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Stand with me if you would as we turn there one more time. And Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. And uh, I want to begin just a survey of the scriptures. This is actually, it says message chapter, message 3, but actually this is message 4. But I'm going to preach what I was planning on preaching tonight on Sunday night. I thought it would be helpful for our church as a whole. So I'm going to preach that on, on um, Sunday night. But we'll begin here with the first book of the Bible, Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Uh, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Lord, we love you, and we thank you so, again so much for the opportunity to be in church on a Wednesday night. I pray that you would be with me, give me the wisdom and the words you'd have me to say, that I would say exactly what you'd have me to say, nothing less, nothing more. Help me to accurately represent your word. Fill me with your spirit and use us. Touch each one of our hearts tonight as we look at a familiar book. Lord, just stir and work in our heart. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. My goal through the course of this is just to give a general overview of each book of the Bible. Maybe on occasion, maybe a couple of them in one evening. But obviously the first of those books is Genesis. Genesis is just the first book. In the beginning. I love uh, this book. I, I love all that it teaches. There, really, it is, as we get to it, it's the foundation of the rest of your Bible. And it is the foundation to it. And uh, matter of fact, if, if you can't get the first few chapters of Genesis, you might as well get rid of the rest of it. And you'll see why shortly. Uh, because so much of it is foundational to the rest of what we believe. And it's an incredible book. The first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. And the Pentateuch just means five books. The books were written by Moses and are identified in scriptures as the law. And we see several times in scripture where the Bible refers to Moses as the writer. The name of the book, the name of the book, I'm going to go through some of this quickly tonight. But the book of Genesis is the foundation of the entire Bible. Most major doctrines find their beginning in Genesis. Genesis is a book of beginnings and families. We see creation in Genesis chapter 1. We see God making man and God making woman. We see the establishment of the Sabbath. We see the establishment of marriage and family. We see work uh, coming to this world even before sin came into the world. Sometimes we might think that's opposite, right? We see the origin of or the sin as it begins. We see the first murder. You find the first sacrifice performed by the Lord Jesus or by the Lord himself. And I like the fact that the Lord also performed the last necessary sacrifice. We see languages come into play in the scripture. We see culture uh, in scripture. And matter of fact, you see all kinds of trades and, and works with the hands that happen here in this book. You see civil, civilization begin to grow and expand and cities started. And of course, you see redemption on display throughout the book of Genesis. It's an amazing, amazing book. It starts with, if you will, it's, it starts, the word Genesis means origin or birth or just simply in the beginning. I love creation. You know, if you look at this book, it's an incredible book. It begins with creation and it ends with a coffin. You ever read that? When you read Genesis chapter one and you begin in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And yet when you come to the end of the book of Genesis is the only time and the first time you find the word coffin in the entirety of scripture is the way the book of Genesis finishes. And that is with Joseph. And you know the story, Joseph knew the prophecy that God had given Abraham that the people of Israel would be 400 years into captivity. But when that time was up, they were going to be delivered from Egypt and they would go into the promised land. And, and Joseph called the people out and called his children out. And he said, don't you leave me here when you go. I know it's going to happen. Don't leave me here when you go. And so they would embalm him and they would put him in a coffin. 
And what a picture, because the coffin is a temporary place in Scripture, isn't it? Aren't you thankful for those of us that are saved when someone passes away and, and they roll those in here, that, that the, the, the body in here and that coffin is here, that it's all temporary for the Christian? There's coming a day when that trumpet's going to sound and we're going to be caught up to be out of this world. But Genesis, beginning with creation and a perfect creation and ending with death. And in Genesis, we see why that happened. God gives us a good look at how you could go from something perfect and something life-giving to something that brings death and lets us see it in the book of Genesis. It's an incredible book that teaches us much about God, much about God's Word, much about the problems of this world. Genesis in a book is a book of facts, a book of firsts, and a book of faith. A book of forecasts and a book of funerals. In this book, we have the beginning of everything except God. In this book, you can take it and you can find the beginning of everything but for God because God always has been and always will be. I'm thankful that we serve a God that was before the beginning and will be there after the end because he is everything, always has been, and always will be. And Genesis gives us a good glimpse of who God is. The purpose of this book, it is to give us the beginning. It's to let us see how we came into being. And it's also a book of families. As a matter of fact, the first 11 chapters cover a period of 2,000 years. And the remaining chapters uh, cover, about 39 chapters cover... Abraham and, and the people that would come on. God emphasizes, if you notice, God gives 11 chapters to how, we, how it all began and how sin came into the world. And then, he gave, and then he gave us 39, the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Really, it's the story of redemption. I, I think it highlights this, that, w- that people are important to God. That he tells us in the beginning that he is and that he always was be. He tells us how he created us. He tells us of how this world begins to fall apart. And then he tells us the story of redemption through Abraham and through his, his children that would follow. And I think God is reminding us that we are important to him. And that he has a purpose and he has a plan to what he's doing in our life. It's a story of redemption that unfolds there in the scripture. With that in mind, you'll kind of see the outline of the book. And I I gave these, I know there's a lot of information here. And and my goal is that you can keep it if you want it, all right? If you don't, don't tell me about it, all right? Okay, just get rid of it, all right? But you can keep it if you want it and hopefully it's helpful. Uh, In this, you see the entrance of sin into the earth in chapters 1 through 11. And you see creation. I love how it chapter begins again. In the beginning, God. God makes no attempt to prove that there is God. He just simply says, in the beginning, God. Uh, you know, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's given us evidence in creation that he's here. He's given us evidence through history. He's given us that call within a man. But God begins this book with, no, with nothing but just simply the statement, I am And I have been here and I always will be. God is on the scene there. You see the command of God. It says over and over again. Matter of fact, 10 times, I believe in this first chapter, you see the phrase or or you find the expression that occurs. And God said throughout scripture 10 times. God's first set of commandments had all been kept to the letter. When God spake, things were created. And 10 times you would see that phrase. And God said, and God said, and God said. And creation fell in line. The next 10 commandments God would give have never been kept by anybody but the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the 10 commandments of Exodus chapter 20. The first few times in this chapter when God spoke this world into existence, they all happened. But with you and I, he gave us free choice and a free will. 
And no man has kept those Ten Commandments to perfection outside of the man Christ Jesus. And I'm thankful for that, God's plan of redemption. But you see it. You see in Genesis chapter 1, the phrase also occurs ten times after his kind in creation. Over and over again, you see it. God reminding us that he made us after a kind. Uh, In biology, it, it establishes the principle that there may be mutations within a given kind, but there are no transmutations between one kind and another. In other words, a monkey never became a man, did it? You can get a different breed of dog, but a dog doesn't become a cat, all right? Thank goodness, all right? And uh, we have enough of those. But, but just creation, just unfolding in Scripture, God, God lets us see how it all happened in this book that we have here in the Scriptures. We see the fall of man, the fall of man in chapters 3 through 4. You know, when it comes to that, people have doubted. Matter of Satan himself, and he's tried to use people to do it, and some of them good men, to bring doubt to these first 11 chapters. But you know, the Lord Jesus Christ himself confirmed the truths of these. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 4, the Lord would speak in his time on earth that would say, in the beginning, or God would say, he would refer to Adam and Eve. Matter of fact, he would say in another place in Matthew, he'd say uh, in, that, that God made them male and female. The Lord Jesus Christ refers to Adam and Eve here in this passage of Scripture. So in order for it not to prove, you would have to say that, in order to prove and say that it's not true, you'd have to say about the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't know what he's talking about. Because the Lord himself referred back to it in his time on this earth. In Romans chapter 5, we see the, the story, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we know the verse, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have what? Sin. Who's the one man who brought sin into the world through disobedience? Adam. The gospel itself hangs on the truth of the creation story and the way sin entered into this world through Adam and Eve. The Lord Jesus Christ himself would speak of Adam and Eve. And in order to undo the first few chapters of Genesis, you have to undo the gospel and the deity of Christ. You cannot do away with it. And, uh, and is it no wonder, I think, sometimes why Satan is after it so strongly? It's no wonder he's after it so strongly because it's, it undermines the foundation of what we believe. The Lord Jesus Christ would be wrong. Romans chapter 5, that great chapter establishing our need for salvation, would be wrong. And, and the gospel itself would, would begin to fall apart. Then in chapters 5 through 9, we see the story of the flood. The story of Noah and his ark is literal. It was not only accepted as historically reliable... By the infallible son of God, but was used by him as the basis of one of his great prophecies. Matthew 24, 37 through 39, Jesus said this. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the son of man be. The Lord would speak of it here in this passage of Scripture. Peter would speak of it in 2 Peter chapter 3. And yet we will have folks today who will try to deny that the flood happened the way it happened or the the story of sin entering the world is different or creation is different. And, And friend, when you undermine those first 11 chapters, you undermine the rest of Scripture. If you can't take Genesis 1 through 11, you should just get rid of the rest of it. 
Because the theme runs throughout the scripture and it's, it runs throughout what we have and what we believe in the rest of scripture. We see the Tower of Babel and the confusion of tongues in Genesis, or in Genesis chapters 10 through 11. And you know the story and man would try a, a united world society from which God was excluded and they would build the Tower of Babel and the Lord would send his judgment and would confuse man through languages and they would spread out. And boy, that's not the last time that's going to happen, is it? Well, the Lord gives us revelation to remind us of one day of tribulation and uh, during that place, that, that rise of a one world government. It's not the last time. It was, it was the first time it was tried. It hasn't been the last time and it won't be the last time that it was tried. And judgment comes the next time it happens, doesn't it? Judgment falls again. Preparation for the coming of the Redeemer of all of mankind. If you read cha- chapters 12 through 50, you see that preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis 12, 3 says, And I will bless them that bless them, bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The Lord would look at Abraham and said, In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God began to bring out a people from which he would provide a redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he called Abram out of the, out of the land of Ur, and he said, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Hebrews chapter 11 says that Abraham didn't see all the promises fulfilled in his lifetime. And one of those was this very promise. Because all the nations of the earth were blessed in his seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he gave his life on Calvary. And for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. See, since that line was fulfilled, God provided a redeemer for mankind. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, any person, whosoever will may come and know Christ as their personal Savior. Genesis chapter 12 through 50, the Lord is giving us that plan of redemption through man. And you see it unfold there in, in the scripture. I won't go to all these other things here, but you see Jesus in the book of Genesis. Jesus, I... Jesus is the theme of every book. Jesus is the theme of every book. And you see it unfold in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the Messiah would be born of the seed of a woman. That first prophecy of the virgin born son of God. Sin sin had no sooner entered into the world than God began to reveal his plan of redeemer. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, he'd show us that seed of a woman. We know the seed comes from the man, and it's the only time he speaks of the seed of the woman was in, Gen- in all of the scriptures in Genesis 3.15. It was a prophecy the Lord Jesus Christ would be born of a virgin. The Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis chapter 12.3 and 17.19, 28.14. And we see it fulfilled in Luke chapter 3. But the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Messiah would be king in the, li- from, in the line of Judah, Genesis 49.10. And we see that prophecy in Scripture. Christ is typified in the person of Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. And the Lord speaks even more of it in Hebrews chapter 7 and how Christ or, or Melchizedek was a type, if you will, of Christ. And uh, you see that in Scripture. Christ is typified in the life of Isaac. How about the story of Isaac or when Abraham brings Isaac up onto the mount? The same mountainous region and the, probably the same mount from which our Lord was crucified or around that same place where the temple mount was built. Isaac brought up there and laid out to be a sacrifice. And as, he, as Abraham was lifting his knife to lower it into the heart of Isaac, the angel of the Lord stopped him and there was a ram in the thicket. And there was a picture there of, of what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us on Calvary. And we see Christ typified in the life of Joseph, the rejected brother, in this fact that his brothers and his own rejected him. And we see that in the life of Christ. His own received him not, did they? 
His own wouldn't receive him. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the what? Sons of God. His own. Over and over again, as you read the book of Genesis, you see Christ come off its pages. You see how we, we came into this world. You see who God is, how God brought us into this world, how sin came in. You see the origin of what we believe and how we live. And you see God's plan of redemption throughout Genesis. Friend, if you get rid of Genesis, you've got to get rid of everything else. If you don't believe in Genesis, you can't have anything else of the part of the Scripture because Genesis runs throughout the rest of Scripture. It is the foundation of the remainder of your Bible when you grab the book of Genesis. If the creation account isn't right, if the fall of man isn't right, if God's fault of what God says about the flood isn't right, Jesus wasn't God because he was wrong in what he said. It undoes, does, undoes everything you believe about your Bible. And it is no wonder why Satan attacks the book of Genesis so heavily. Because it undoes everything about what we believe. It's the foundation of what we believe. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3. And uh, I'd like to spend more time here, but the night is short. But, he, short, but Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3, if you would turn there and I want to read just these first three verses and then verse 6. It says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which were seen were not made of things which do appear. Verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The necessity... Of faith, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Verse 3 says something incredible about a creation through faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which were seen were not made of things which do appear. I, how many have ever been to the creation museum up there in northern Kentucky, right around the Cincinnati, or the Ark Encounter, and things of that nature? And I enjoy ministries like that who who run to creation and, and run to creation and, and begin to un, unfold and show us exactly how true the scriptures are and try to in an apologet and through apologetics to confirm in our mind that the creation account is true. And I, I believe personally that it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does in creation. I think the fact that somehow I don't I don't know how someone wraps their mind around the idea that that Nothing became something that exploded into something so much more and slowly this became that and everything outside of its kind. It just so much, it requires so much more faith than what I've got, to be quite frank. But when you say in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it makes biblical sense and it makes sense to me. Everything that we have in life was be created by something. And to say that in the beginning there was someone who's outside of and above everything and he formed it all makes sense to me. And you know what this passage of scripture though says to, to us about creation? It says in that verse, it says this, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. You know, I, I'm for apologetics, but you'll never be able to irrefutably prove creation. You'll never be able to irrefutably prove evolution either. And you know why? Because none of us were there. Both of them are a a decision of faith. What do I believe? What do I believe? 
I've, I've joked about it before, but the sound of music. Anybody ever watch the sound of music? Uh, nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. And I'll sing it to my wife. So somewhere in your youth or childhood, you must have done something good. Because here I am standing here loving you, whether or not I should. All right, no, I just switched the whole song around. All right, I, I changed it and added in my own words. And I know I'm in trouble. All right, but, you know, whatever. But nothing comes from nothing, does it? Nothing does. And in scripture, we're reminded of the same thing. Nothing comes from nothing. There was somebody who said, let there be light. And there was light. And God says it. And and he proves this fact that we know it and we believe it by faith. You know why? Because without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please him. God is not going to irrefutably prove himself so that we take him. He expects us to take a step of faith. That's why he begins Genesis with In the beginning, God. He didn't say, let me prove it all to you. He just said, in the beginning, God. Now, if you look closely, there's a whole lot of evidence of it. You can see it in creation. There's far more detail in creation than anything that man has ever created. And we would say it is folly to say that your vehicle that's parked outside, somehow there was nothing there. And then that nothing became something and exploded into something more. And next thing you know, that vehicle is assembled in your driveway. That would be insane. It would be insane. And yet creation is so much more complicated than any of the vehicles that we drive. And yet God made it. I think creation itself proves a creator. I think history speaks of a creator, a God. I think inside of our own heart, there's a knowledge of right and wrong and a consciousness of God that says there is a God. But it is on the page of scripture that we see his name. And God says this, that it is through faith that we understand that the worlds were formed by God. Sooner or later, everybody has to take a step of saying, what do I believe? And that decision will shape their eternity. The necessity of faith, the faith in in the person of God. The first chapter of Genesis is one of the most God-centered chapters in the Bible. God is mentioned by name 32 times in 31 verses. And to add to that the use of personal pronouns, and he is mentioned no less than 43 times. On the very first page of Scripture, the Holy Spirit brings us into the presence of God and keeps us there. Over and over and over again, we see God. God takes us no further than that first passage of Scripture to remind us of that. We see the eternal nature of God. In Revelations 1.8, it says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Revelations 20.13, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. God would remind us of who he is. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. You make a decision about God. You make a decision about the power of God. John 1, 1 through, and through 3 says, in the beginning was, was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with, with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He is God. His eternal nature, his power, his holiness. Genesis 6, 3, the Lord would say after after the corruption of sin was corrupting society so much, he would say, the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. For that he is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. He said, my spirit will not always strive with these people. Why? Sin. The holiness of God. In 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, it says, 
But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The holiness of God. What will you do with God? That you must make a decision to believe in who he is. And uh, the judgment of God, Genesis 6, 6 through 7, it says, And repented the Lord that he made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. We would see the judgment of God. You see the eternal nature of God. Uh, you see the holiness of God. You see the judgment of God. Uh, and friend, I, I would remind you that nothing has changed about the nature of God. In 2 Peter 3, 9 through 10, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. As sure as God would send his judgment in the days of Noah, he has promised us it's still coming today for those who will reject him. He's not slack concerning his promise. We're going to be out of here one day, but God will pour his wrath out on this world. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is holy. He is just. He is, he, his power is on display. We see the grace of God. I, Genesis 6 is the first time the word grace is found in all of your Bible. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. You see the grace of God. As much as you see the judgment of God and you see these things about nature, you see also the mercy and the grace of God in his nature. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I'm thankful that God is still giving grace. He is still giving grace. But the person of God, what will you do with God? It's impact on our life. You see faith in the plan of God. In Genesis if you were to read Genesis, you would, you, as I mentioned earlier, earlier, the first 11 chapters speak about creation. And then the next, uh, next 39 chapters would deal with man. You'd see something similar in the New Testament. In Genesis, we see that Abraham is more important to God than the universe. He spent more time on him. It is only fair to an author to place the emphasis where he places it. The Lord devoted more of Genesis to Abraham and his descendants than he did to the creation of the universe. In the New Testament, God indicates emphasis in the same way. There are 89 chapters in the four Gospels, uh, those first four Gospels. There are four chapters of those, of those 89 chapters that cover the first 30 years of Christ's life. 85 chapters cover three years of his life. 27 chapters cover the last eight days of his life. In the Gospels, he would spend four chapters speaking of the first 30 years of his life and 27 chapters covering the last eight days of his life. What do those last eight days cover? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is concerned about people. In Genesis, you see the Lord speak to this. In 11 chapters, he would deal with the creation of the universe. And for 39, he would speak to people and unfold his plan of redemption. You see the same thing in the book of, in the, in the, in the, in the gospels of Jesus Christ. And it is this, do you believe in God's plan? 
First Peter 1, 18 through 20 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible seed or corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of a Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God reminds us that God had a plan that was before the foundation of the world. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that first portrait, that first prophecy that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was coming. Why was it so quick to come? Because it was already prepared. Satan thought he was having his way in the garden, but God was already working behind the scenes to have the answer to the sin that would corrupt the world. And God had a plan. It was a plan of redemption that was there before he said, let there be light. That God had a plan that would unfold throughout all of scripture so that you and I might know Christ as our Savior. Faith, the necessity of faith is that we must determine what we believe about God and what we believe about about his plan of redemption. And those decisions unfold throughout the book of Genesis. And what you do with it determines your eternity. Satan has been after it since the beginning. I, I almost titled the message for Sunday night, Yea, Hath God Said, and I'm going to preach about the preservation of God's Word and why we use the Bible we use. But what did Satan say? He first brought doubt to God's Word, no further than the third chapter of Genesis to see it. No further. And he's attacked it all the way through. And what you do with what you believe about God and what you do with what you believe about His plan is, is determines our future. For finally, we see a faith in God's purpose. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 4, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of the country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And boy, if you read the life of Abraham and you read what God did, just a pilgrim. Abram would leave, he'd get up and follow, he'd go up to Bethel and he'd meet with there with God. Famine would come, he'd go down to Egypt, he'd come back out of Egypt. He would try to make God's plan work out his way by taking Hagar to wife and that would all fall apart. Ishmael would come into the world and over and over again you see the journey of Abraham. And yet we are reminded all the way through as you come to the end that God had a purpose and a plan in every circumstance. Abraham's life was not an easy life. He was, it was a blessed life, but it was far from easy. Some of it due to his own mistakes, some of it due to the circumstances that were around him. But God had a purpose and he had a plan in it all. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says this, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a, begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There is a purpose to what God is doing. Faith comes down to what do you believe about God? What do you believe about God's plan? And what do you believe about God's purpose? What you believe about God's purpose will determine whether you are faithful to him or unfaithful with him. What do you believe that God is doing? What do you believe about the faithfulness of God? Does God have a purpose and a plan? Do you remember when Abram doubted what God said? God told him he'd make of him a great and mighty nation and he'd give him a son. And what did Abraham and Sarah do when they began to doubt? They tried to make it work their own way. And it came apart. They begin to doubt God's purpose. 
God does not hide in the scripture. He lets us seize the good of the good of those that are there, but he also lets us see the bad of it. And I, and I will tell you this, Christian, what we do with believing, do you believe that God is working in your life still? That God is working in our life, faith in God's purpose? We get ourselves in trouble when we doubt that God has a purpose to what he's doing. We begin to waver. We begin to, uh, to we lose our faithfulness to him because we are doubting his purpose, and that he has a plan in it. And I, and I will say that's on both ends of the spectrums. That's a faith in God's purpose in the burdens of life, and it's a faith in God's purpose in the blessings of life. People get off track in both, don't they? Miss Melissa mentioned being thankful for the blessings of God or the provisions of God. You know, I've seen the blessings of God take people out of the will of God before. What they did with God's blessings. They thought more of the blessing than they did the one who gave them the blessing. And next thing you know, the plenty of life became their downfall. And they forgot. Can I tell you something? God has a purpose for what he's given you. And it wasn't to sit on it. God has a purpose in the blessings that he has given to us. He has a purpose for us to do something with the things he's entrusted us with, whether it's from our finances to our, to our talents, to our time. God has a purpose in it. Have you sought what God's purpose is for the blessings that he's given you in life? He has a purpose for the burdens that he's given us in life. God does not let me go through a trial without having a point to it. The hope for the Christian is that in the burden we know that God is working something through it that's meant for our good. Genesis reminds us that God has a purpose and we must believe in the person of God. And I would say that it's Wednesday night, and this Wednesday night in the middle of the week, you're here at 8.07 on purpose because you believe in God. I would say you believe in the plan of God. You believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was the son of God, that he came to this earth, lived his life without sin, the virgin-born son of God, that he died on the cross and he rose again that third day and, and that you might be saved. And you could probably, hopefully, if you're here tonight, look backward and may not give me an exact diamond time and place, but you remember trusting Christ. And you're here tonight prayerfully because you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you haven't, do that because the, your future is not looking too bright if you haven't. But I would say that we often, as Christians, lose sight of having a faith in God's purpose in our life. Whether it is a trial, that, whether it is a burden he allows to come our way, or whether it is a blessing that he allows to come our way. Both of them can derail the Christian life. When I fail to realize that there's a point to the blessings that he's given me and something he wants me to do with it, I abuse the things he's given to me and misuse them. But when I also forget there's a, there's a point to the burdens that he's allowed into my life, the circumstances and the trials of life, friend, God has a point in them. Genesis reminds us of that. Read about Joseph. I'm thankful for Joseph's faithfulness. I'm thankful that he never lost sight, at least we don't see it, of what God said he was doing in his life. A faithful man tempted by Potiphar's wife. And he said, I cannot sin against God. I cannot sin against God. His brothers would try to kill him and he would later say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. At every turn. And yet I would say that Joseph probably went through more horrible things than any of us have yet to go through. 
But God had a purpose in it. God doesn't hide from us those who got out of it. We see Jacob, the supplanter, trying to connive the will of God, trying to make it work out the way he wants it. And how many times have God people tried to connive and bring about God's will and make it out, work out the way they want it? You see, you see Isaac and you see it, Abraham, but all the way through it, there's a running theme. God has a purpose. And we make a decision. I'm going to have a faith in the person of God. I'm going to have a faith in the plan of God. And I'm going to have a faith in the purpose of God in my life. God has a purpose with what he's doing in our life. And the call of the Christian is to have faith in him. And as a result of our faith, we see faithfulness unfold in our life. Because we trust him. We trust him. And the minute we lose sight of that faith... Faithfulness begins to waver. Because faithfulness is rooted in what we believe about God, what we believe about God's plan, and what we believe about God's purpose. If I ever lose that, we'll lose sight of that faithfulness in the Christian life. It's unfolding. It's it's an incredible book. It is, if you will, it's the key. It's the building blocks of the rest of your Bible. God lets us see exactly who he is and how he made this world. He lets us see how he made us in holiness. He lets us see where sin came from and the choice of man. What will you do with him? He lets us see the origins of the family, the origin of work. He lets us see the origin of languages. He lets us see why we are where we are. And he unfolds the plan of redemption and spends 39 chapters showing us his purpose of redemption through the lives of his people. And God is still working through the lives of his people. And God still has a purpose for his people. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the scripture. I thank you for this book that you've given to us in the book of Genesis. And I know it's familiar stuff and most of us have read through this book probably many times. But Lord, I do think of that our faith, Lord, is a, is a daily decision of our life. What are we going to do? Will we remain true to believing in your person? And will we remain true to believing in your purpose? And Lord, the plan of God is settled for those who've trusted Christ as their Savior, but our faith sometimes waver in the purpose of God. And I pray that, Lord, as you have reminded us this evening, Lord, about what, who you are and what you've done, that our faith would be strengthened. Lord, I don't know what trial maybe someone may be in. Maybe it's a, a burden that they've been reminded of, that you have a purpose. Maybe it's a blessing. Maybe as a result of some of the blessings of life, we have gotten off track and failed to remember. You have a point to those blessings of God. I pray that we would use the blessings in a way that is pleasing to you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me just ask you this question tonight. How many of you say, preacher, I know, I know for a fact that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. That's a settled thing for you me. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? Uh, thank you. You may put your hand down. Is there anybody that say this evening, preacher, I'm unsure of my salvation. I'm unsure of it, but I'd like to know Christ as my Savior. And would you raise your hand so that I can pray for you? For me, it was on a Wednesday night that I trusted Christ. And maybe you'd be like that. You'd say, preacher, I'm here, but I'm not sure about my salvation, but I'd like to make sure of that. Is there anybody? Let me ask you this then, Christian. How many of you say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart? Maybe it's just a reminder that God has a purpose. Think how easy it is to lose sight of what God has for us, to lose sight of that purpose. Or, or, or honestly, sometimes we know it on paper. We're not practicing it with our life. But if you'd say, hey, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart, would you raise your hand as a testimony? Would you stand with me? And as the pianist begins to play, as God has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord. And 
Thank him for the Bible that he's given you. But as God has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord tonight.